Amen. Thank you, Carmen, for that wonderful ministry and song. Thank you, Pastor Bowman, for the wonderful music service. I trust that you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the God of all eternity. You know, there is one sense in which God is the Father of all mankind and that God gives life. Physical life is a gift from God. It is a miracle. And yet, spiritually, we know that not all are children of God. Matter of fact, Jesus said to some very religious men in the New Testament, some Pharisees, he said, you are of your father the devil. Man, you, you, humanly speaking, if you think anybody was impressive enough, knew the scriptures and was a good person, could make to heaven on their good works, certainly you would think the Pharisees could make it. Even Saul, as we looked last week in his testimony of salvation, you, you want to talk about somebody who, according to the requirements of the Pharisees and the expectations of mankind would have been the ultimate candidate for salvation based on good works. He says, all those things that were counted gain to me, I count them as loss that I may win Christ. He says, I've rejected any kind of salvation based on my good works, keeping the law. And instead, I put my faith in Jesus Christ who died and rose again for me. I trust that you have done that so that you also can honestly pray our Heavenly Father. Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 6. And before we get there, I just want to say how thankful I am to be a dad. You know, um, my son Cameron was born um, in 2000, so Y2K. Some of you remember all of that, right? We didn't know what was going to happen with Y2K. So people were buying generators and, and they were stocking food for a year and all this kind of crazy stuff. And that was the year my son was born. And he was born on June 6th. What's the significance of June 6th? D-Day, that's exactly right. So Cameron was more on sort of D-Day. It was D-Day for us. It was exciting. And um, so we're so thankful for him. As a matter of fact, here's an interesting little bit of trivia. Uh, the first person other than me and Krista to, to uh, hold Cameron was Pastor Finch. He was the first one. So we got a really neat picture of him holding Cameron. And I knew that he was going to be a wonderful grandpa someday. And uh, so we're so thankful for, for Cameron. Ivy's not here this morning. Um, she is up in Ohio. She's going to be at Camp Penile. And I'm so thankful uh, for Ivy. And uh, she, Ivy, well, uh, we had doctors say to my wife, you need to be on bed rest. This is when we're traveling in evangelism because she's in position. She could be born at any time. This is several months before she was due. And so here we are being careful. When we're traveling, we're really careful. I had one guy who said, <clears throat> uh, Brother Savinsky, I have, what was it, honey, 10 or 11 kids Something like that. He says, my first child was born in the hospital. Terrible experience. My next child uh, was delivered at home with a midwife. Terrible experience. I said, I think I can do a better job myself. And so I delivered the rest of our children myself at home. I understand that the baby is in position to be born, and yet your wife is still several months away from her due date. So just in case that you should need to deliver the baby here, and he hands me this packet, and it was a file like this. Of all the detailed instructions on how to deliver a baby. So, you know what that did? That gave me nightmares. I'm driving down the road, you know, in this nightmare of mine. And Krista says, she's coming, you know. And I pull over to the side of the road and get her into the fifth wheel. And while I'm trying to deliver this baby, and Krista's screaming, and I'm trying to deliver the baby, semi-trucks are flying by at 80 miles an hour, and the trailer's doing like this. And, and then that little rascal, we got home, and she was a due. And she was two weeks late. We had to induce her. 
So for all those times, we were so concerned that she was going to be born early and all this emergency, and then she comes two weeks late. But you know what? I'm so thankful for her. She was worth the wait. And so thankful that God's going to have her up at Camp Penile for six weeks serving the Lord up there. And when she comes back, she's going to be taking Christy Hurst's place as church secretary. We're looking forward to the ministry she'll have among us. But I'm just very thankful for my wife and family, for my kids. And now I have a grandson. We just got to spend some time with him. It's lots of fun. And so it's not, it's not my intention this morning through this message to in any way discourage those who are single moms. Maybe, maybe you weren't married when you had children. Maybe your husband's died and you're a widow trying to raise children. My heart really goes out to you. And let me just stop and say this. We want to be a church that can be a family to the fatherless. You know, God himself says that he's a father to the fatherless. If we're going to follow in his image and his example, I believe that that means that moms who are trying to raise kids on their own can come here and find love and encouragement and support and help. And let me encourage you as a family to consider inviting into your lives some of these children who don't have a dad in the home and you can have an influence on them and encourage them and be such a help to this mom who's trying to raise her kids for the glory of God. And those are extremely difficult circumstances. You know, I believe that this is one of the reasons why there is the unraveling of the culture in America is the absence of fathers in the home. And that's not just absence of fathers from the home. You have dads that are, they come home from work, but they're absent as far as being involved in their children's lives. This is from the National Fatherhood Initiative. I just read this. Um, There are right now, uh, according to the latest U.S. Census Bureau, 18.4 million children, that is one in four, live without a biological step or adoptive father in the home. So if you have your dad, whether it's a stepdad, whether he's your biological dad, whether you're adopted, be thankful that you have a dad in the home. I didn't think about this, but National Fatherhood Initiative said that's enough children to fill New York City twice or Los Angeles four times. Here are some of the research that the father, they, 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 they titled this little page, The Father Absence Crisis in America. Research shows when a child is raised in a father absent home, they are affected in the following ways. They're four times greater risk of poverty, more likely to have behavioral problems, twice greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to go to prison, more likely to commit crimes, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen, teen, more likely to face abuse and neglect, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, twice as likely to suffer obesity, twice as likely to drop out of school. But strengths of a father's presence. Well, a father's in the home. Infant mortality goes down. There's a lower birth, the lower birth rates, uh, risk drops, emotional behavior problems drop, neglect and abuse, injury, obesity, poor school performance, teen pregnancy, in- incarceration as juveniles, alcohol and substance abuse, criminal activity and suicide. All of these risks go way down when dad's in the home. And that's not, and I don't know about the Father, National Fatherhood Initiative organization, but I would doubt that they are a fundamental independent Baptist based kind of Christian organization. This is what the world says is an urgent need. We, who are born-again believers, ought to honor 
marriage ought to honor family, ought to be faithful. And so my challenge, Dad, is it's not that we just be faithful to be in the home, but to be faithful at home. So take your Bibles, look with me in Genesis chapter 6. Because I want you to see Noah's circumstances. We're focusing this morning on the character of Noah. In, in, in Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, look at the circumstances that he found himself in. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Moses was not waxing elephants. By writing all of those words and being verbose, it is very specific exactly what he is saying. And here's some of the stuff. The wickedness of man was growing and spreading, literally taking over the planet. The souls of men were being continually bent only on evil, inventing with intention more ways to commit evil. How sad it is when men abuse the God-given gift of imagination to rebel against him. The internet, television, movies, and music are some of the modern means often used for crafting such wickedness. How sad when men use creativeness that God gave them as a gift and use it to pervert minds to encourage evil. And then the Bible, look down in verse 11 what the Bible says. This is some of the circumstances that he found Himself in the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And you begin to read kind of what that happened. Let me kind of sum up for you what it was it was cruelty, torture, murder, rape, robbery, fighting, and vandalism. Have you noticed in our culture how much more violent our culture has become? Depending on what your political persuasion is, people get very incensed and even violent. Demonstrations have taken a turn for violence. There are mass shootings and stabbings, robberies. Some cities have so much crime that they are not even prosecuting theft. They have so much going on that the judicial system as it stands cannot handle that many cases. And we're in a crisis. And I'm not saying that it all goes back to the failure of fathers in the home. But what I'm saying is we have a pandemic. We have a crisis of fathers not being in the home and not being at home. That is being present and being engaged with their families and having a purposeful influence for Christ. So I'm encouraging those of us who are Christian dads who have a love for God and his word and a love for our families to be renewed in our commitment to be engaged because we're finding ourselves in the very same circumstances. But look at Noah's character. Matter of fact, I want to quote a verse to you, Hebrews 11, verse 7. Moses says, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By the which... He condemned the world, became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. <coughs> Noah feared God with a deep reverence. Hey, dads, do you exemplify fearing God with a deep reverence? Or do your children hear you take God's name in vain? 
Are you flippant about spiritual things? When one of your children maybe even says, Dad, why are you doing that? I thought the Bible said we weren't supposed to do that. Do you brush it off and treat it flippantly? When your wife approaches you with something, just shrug your shoulders and keep moving and ignore her. Noah feared God with a deep reverence. Noah obeyed God. God said, a flood is coming. Build this ark. And Noah obeyed God. Biblical faith always results in obedience. And then Noah lived a consistent, godly life of integrity. Look back up with me in verse 9. The Bible says this. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. He lived a consistent life of godly integrity. And Noah followed God and enjoyed fellowship with him. We saw that in the verse as well. He walked with God. He enjoyed fellowship with God. He was not righteous because of his good works. He became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. He believed God. He responded to God's word. He obeyed God. And then he walked with God. What a great pattern for those of us who are dads. But first of all, do you know God in a personal way? Noah Noah put his faith in God. He believed the promises of God. Do you believe the promise that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? Romans 10, 13. Do you believe the warning of the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke 13 and verse 3? That unless you repent, you shall perish. See, God is just and God is holy. God must punish sin. That's what God did here at the flood. God is very patient and long-suffering. But God is also a God of justice and righteousness. And the wickedness of man was so great in the earth and taking over the earth and it was on the imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Mankind as a whole and individually, they were all bent on wickedness. Yet Noah did not go with that. And God warned him and said, I, my spirit, shall not always strive with man. Let me warn you something, friend. If you have experienced the grace and the mercy of God in that the spirit of God has made clear to you that Jesus Christ is real. He's the son of God. He died on the cross and shed his blood for your sin. He was buried and he rose again. And you need to repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And you've heard it and rejected it and heard it and rejected it and heard it and rejected it. Or you think I've got plenty of time. One of these days I will deal with that. Destruction may be coming quicker than you think. Death is no respecter of person, persons. Jimmy wasn't expecting to have a heart attack, end up in a hospital and die the same day. But God warns destruction's coming. Eternal death. And just as surely as God destroyed mankind and the earth because of the great wickedness of man, so there is going to come a future destruction of all of the earth by fire. We read that in our scripture reading, 2 Peter chapter 3. But there is also another warning that every person is individually accountable before God of whether they will accept and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive eternal life by faith or reject that. And just like when God told Noah to build this ark. Noah obeyed. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Look at Noah's commitment. Third of all, Noah obeyed God's specific instructions to build the ark in making all the preparations for their time in the ark during the flood. Look at verse 22. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. God not only gave him all the dimensions of the ark and how to build it, even the materials to build it with, 
and all of the design, he also says, now you need to gather all these animals. And he also says, and listen, you need to bring your sons and your sons' wives on board the ark with you. And he gave him a timeline. And Peter called Noah a preacher of righteousness. So how long did it take Noah to build the ark and was a preacher of righteousness? Well, God said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. And then a little later on, man's day shall be 120 years. God was not describing what the average lifespan of man was going to be. He's saying, this generation, the people alive on planet earth right now, only have 120 years. Until I'm going to destroy this earth with a flood. And everybody that's not in the ark will die. And Noah, as he's building the ark, he was also a preacher of righteousness. It had never rained before. They didn't know what a flood was. The earth was enveloped with a cloud canopy, a firmament. There was mist, there was dew. So here's Noah, and he's beginning to build the ark. I believe his sons helped, helped him build the ark. As he's building the ark, his neighbor's saying, Hey, Noah, what are you building in your driveway? Noah said, I'm building an ark. He said, What's an ark? It's going to be a big boat. What's a boat? It's this thing that's going to float. Why do you need to build something that's going to float? Because God's going to send a flood. What's a flood? Well, God says that he's going to send rain, and the fountains of the deep are going to come up, and, and he's going to flood this entire earth with water. And people mocked him, and they laughed at him, and they said, You're crazy. You think God's talking to you? And for 120 years, Noah patiently built the ark and preached and invited people to come into the ark. Matter of fact, Peter uses the ark as as an illustration of salvation. There was only one ark. There was only one door in the ark. Everybody was invited to get in the ark. And the only way that your life could be spared was in the ark. So Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. There is only one way to escape eternal death. There's only one way to have eternal life with God. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And if your faith is not in him, your faith is in the wrong place. And you are headed for eternal destruction. And it's as sure as God sent this universal flood. And by the way, there is so much geological evidence and proof and fossil proof of the universal flood that it boggles my mind how any scientist can honestly try to refute it. That's another message. <laughs> the Bible says of 2 Peter 2, 5, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. Noah led his wife and his sons as he followed God. They also responded to God's warning and God's promise. Think of that. The entire world was bent on wickedness. Violence filled the earth. Man's imagination and his inventiveness and all of his energies were only bent towards inventing and performing and delighting in doing more and more wickedness and evil. Yet Noah's sons did not go with culture because their dad had a relationship with God, was a man of righteousness, told them what God said, and his character was such that when he spoke, his sons listened to him. And when he said, God told me to build an ark because he's going to destroy this world with a flood. We have 120 years to get this thing built. That his son says, Dad, we're going to pitch in and help you. We believe God. We've seen God in your life. We have a relationship with God because you've encouraged us in that. You've taught us about God. You've shown us how to have a relationship with him. We're with you, Dad. Even though the whole, literally, even though the whole world is against me. You ever feel like the whole world's against you? You feel like that? Well, for Noah and his family, the whole world was against them, literally. 
Yet God was not showing, quote, favoritism, though Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord or favor in the sight of the Lord. It was God's grace on Noah, but Noah preached righteousness and everybody had opportunity to repent and change their mind and their attitude, believe the word of God and get in the ark. You know what's interesting? The Bible says that the day that the floods came, that Noah and his sons and his sons' wives and his wife, they entered into the ark. Noah did not shut the door. God shut the door. Why does the Bible say that? Because when God shut the door, no man can open. And when God shut the door, the people outside the ark were condemned. There was no second chance. They had 120 years to respond. Friend, you have had a lifetime to respond to the gospel. Are you still rejecting it? Dads, are our lives, though we're not perfect, so consistent and so genuine in a walk with God and fellowship with Him? And we've shared that with our families to the point where our families will have no excuse, but they are encouraged to walk with God. Now, every person has a free will. We can't force our children to walk with God. But those children who've had godly, consistent parents... And specifically today, because we're talking about dads, godly, consistent dads, who have sincerely, though imperfectly, have consistently pursued walking faithfully with God, obeying Him, walking in righteousness, believing the Word of God, walking in a deep reverence and fear of God. Your culpability, your accountability will be that much greater because of what you have rejected, even through the ministry of your dad. But dads, may this be a renewed commitment that we would walk with God and that God would show us how to even a greater way show his goodness, show his grace, walk in righteousness, show a deep reverence, be our whole lives an orchestra of reverence, a symphony of reverence to God and our families serving with us. But look at Noah's covenant. Part of God, the covenant of God was to spare humanity and the animal kingdom from destruction of his judgment. God told Noah, gather all these animals. He told them how many kind. He said, gather your, your sons, their wives, you and your wife get into the ark. And God, in his grace, his covenant with Noah was, I'm not going to destroy mankind as a race. And through Noah, God kept that covenant. And he blessed Noah and his sons so that they were able to begin the repopulation of the earth. Noah's part of the covenant was to lead his family to build the ark, to lay in supplies, to gather the animals, to get on board the ark. Now think of this. Noah's sons were married men. So they specifically were not under obligation to obey their dads. Remember in just a couple of chapters back in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. It doesn't just mean that when a man gets married, he doesn't live in one of the bedrooms in his parents' house. It means he, under God, becomes a spiritual authority in leadership independent of his mom and dad. And he is to lead spiritually his wife and children, however God so blesses them with children. So we're always, I believe, lifelong obligation to honor our father and mother. And I'm going to preach about that tonight. I'm going to come back tonight uh, at 530. We've got a couple of exciting things with missionary reports and, and that sort of thing. But I'm also going to talk about honor thy father. We're always honor our father, no matter what stage of life we are in, whether our dad is still alive or not. But they were not under obligation to obey their dad. And yet I believe they submitted themselves to their dad's leadership and helped him build the ark. And when dad said, boys, it's time to get in the ark. God's going to send rain. Hey, boys, help me gather up some animals. We need to get these animals in this ark now that the ark is completed. 
that they followed their dad in obedience. They listened to him, they obeyed God, and led their wives to do the same. Contrast this with Noah, with Lot. In Genesis chapter 19 and verse 14, you remember that God sent two angels, took on the appearance of men, they came to Lot's house. And they warned Lot, Lot, get you and your family out because God is going to destroy this city. In Genesis 19, 14, And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up! Get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. That is one of the saddest verses in the scripture. It doesn't say that his sons-in-law mocked him. What it says is they thought that he was mocking God. They thought he was making a religious-based joke. Hey, guys, you know, God's going to destroy the city, and they're waiting for the punchline. No, you need to get out of here. You need to get out with your wives, your kids. Look, God's going to rain fire and brimstone down on the city. It's coming right away. You need to get out. And they're like, hey, April Fool's. Oh, no, wait, it's not April 1st. What are you trying to do, Dad? And they thought that Lot was mocking God. Now, we know according to Peter, and if we didn't have this in the New Testament, we wouldn't even know for sure if Lot was a righteous man, that is, that he by faith believed God and that we'll see him in heaven. But the Bible says that Lot was a righteous man, that he believed God and therefore was righteous, but he vexed his righteous soul from day to day with the unlawful, with the wicked deeds of the people of Lot, of Sodom and Gomorrah. But Lot was a man, and yet he lived for the world. He lived for money, he lived for influence, he lived for power, and he sacrificed the spiritual leadership in his home and that influence and walking with God for a little bigger house and a little nicer car and a little fancier vacation and a little more financial security and retirement. And in the end, he not only lost everything that he worked his whole life for, but he lost his kids. Because they thought that he was joking about God. May that never be true that our kids would ever in any way have an inkling or an idea that that might be true of us. So may we walk in the fear of the Lord. Matthew Henry wrote this. I'm going to read this. It's a little bit long of a a statement that he wrote. But I think it's very appropriate to this message. I'm going to close with it. So please listen carefully. And then we'll have our invitation Matthew Henry said, when the rest of the world was wicked, Noah kept his integrity. I don't know about you, but that's a challenge to me today. In this day and age when there's temptation all around us. I mean, you want to talk about sin and nobody's going to see. There's all kinds of ways that mankind has tried to facilitate sin and to try to lessen the consequences of sin in our culture. And to make sin appear to be harmless and normal. But in the midst of of a world when the rest of the world was wicked, Noah kept his integrity. God's goodwill towards Noah produced his good work in him. He was a just man that is justified before God by faith in the promised seed that is Messiah. As such, he was made holy and had right principles and was righteous in his conversation. That means in his manner of living. He was not only honest but devout. It was his constant care to do the will of God. God looks down upon those with an eye of favor who sincerely look up to him with an eye of faith. Man, I love that statement. 
It is easy to be religious when religion is in fashion, but it shows strong faith and resolution to swim against the stream and to appear for God when no one else appears for him. Noah did so. When wickedness is become general, ruin is not far off. While there is a remnant of praying people in a nation to empty the measure as it fills it, judgments may not be long kept off. But when all hands are at work to pull down the fences by sin and none stands in the gap to make up the breach, what can be expected but a flood of wrath? Let me encourage you, Christian dads, to commit again to being godly men of integrity. If there is some secret sin that you're holding on to in your heart and life, something you're hiding that you know is displeasing to God, let me challenge you to confess it, to forsake it, and to put on the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may God give us the grace, even in the midst of wicked circumstances, may we have Christ-like character committed to doing the will of God and enjoying the wonderful promises and fulfillment of those promises that God has given to us as we walk in obedience to him. Jesus promised this in John 10, 28, and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Who is the them? All who will come by faith. Believe on him as the one who was the sacrifice, the perfect finished sacrifice for their sin who died, was buried, and rose again, and is the living Savior, authorized and empowered to forgive sin and to give everlasting life. If he is not your only expectation for eternal life, if you've not put your faith in him, if you're not sure where your soul would spend eternity, if you were to die this week, won't you come this morning and let someone take the word of God and help you to come and know Christ today, enter into a personal relationship with him by faith. Let's bow our heads. In a moment, we'll have a come forward invitation. I'll have Pastor Blake will be at one of the aisles. I'll be at the other aisle. If you would just like to come here and pray and commit yourself, whether whoever you are, maybe as a dad, there was something special that God just spoke to your heart about. You'd like to come and do business with God. We welcome you to come here to the front and to pray. If you'd like some counsel on something that you're going through, please see me or Pastor Blake. Let us know that you'd like that. We'll set up counseling with you. We can have somebody pray with you now and then counsel you further um, sometime this week um, or even after the service if you would like. Uh, if you're not sure where your soul would spend eternity, please come and see me or Pastor Blake and just say, hey, I want God's gift of eternal life. I want him truly to be my heavenly father. And we'll have someone take the word of God, take you to a quiet place, sit down with you, and in a few minutes, they can show you the way of salvation, and you can call on Jesus Christ and receive eternal life. Let's stand with our heads bowed. As our pianist begins to play our hymn of invitation, would you come? <laughs>